Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. So I've got, here's what I'm going to do. I've got a, a word, and then I want to pray over us, and then I've got uh, a message that the Lord's put on my heart. And, and here's the word. And I kept hearing this. And in fact, I, kept, I heard it yesterday, and I kept hearing it this morning so strong that I thought, Lord, do you just want me to preach and teach on this? Because I could do that. Uh, you know, if you want me to, but um, I just felt like I was supposed to share this and just kind of leave it there. So I, I've heard, um, well, over the years this has happened, but especially this year I've heard several things concerning people in the community that have had issue with us or in specific me. And I've, I've heard, uh, I even had a, a write-up in the paper uh, about me one time, and which is like, praise Jesus, man, we're doing something right. And uh, just a lot of different things that have been said. I won't go into the details. And, you know, and, and even here's the thing is that even when other, other churches come up uh, out against us and they say things, look, they're just, they're honestly, a lot of times they're just jealous because they don't know how to, they don't know how to have maybe what we have here. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so then they just start throwing sticks and rocks and whatever else they can because that's just what they know to do. But we just love those people. We pray for those people. As a matter of fact, in the prayer room, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to put up, um, I'm going to say, but we'll see how many there, there is. We're going to put up every church in Perry County. We're going to put on that board because those are our brothers and our sisters. And we may not worship around the this, this same uh, deal the service here in on this side of of uh, heaven, but when we get there, we're all going to be around the same throne room. Amen. So we just we're going to lift them up and encourage them and strengthen them and believe God that as we're growing in revelation in Him, because how many of y'all know nobody's got it all figured out, but they're going to be growing at the same time, and we're just going to grow separately but together, and however all that works out. Amen. So w- with that in in mind, just having heard some of those things and even had people say, oh, did, I, did you hear what so-and-so said? Da, 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 da. And it just doesn't bother me Amen. because Jesus spent a little bit of time and the apostle Paul spent a little bit of time talking about pressure coming from the outside, but a lot of time talking about pressure coming from the inside because see criticism coming from the outside is just persecution. In the, in, the, in the U.S., it's not illegal to kill anybody, right? It's the same spirit that's working here that would say, you're doing that wrong, and I can't believe all those tongue talkers over there and whatever, whatever they would say about us. All that is is just the religious spirit that's coming against us, but it can only go to the level of what the government will allow them to do. So you take that same spirit that's working through people, in other countries, and they cut their heads off because the government allows them to do those things. This is why it's good to pray for and believe God for godly government to keep those things in check so that we can have the religious freedom that we do. But see, I'm not worried about the pressure and the criticism from the outside. That's not what destroys the church. As a matter of fact, if you study history, the church expands when it comes underneath the persecution. And I'm not believing God to be persecuted Nevertheless, when you look at church history, the stronger the persecution, the greater the church has grown. The thing that destroys a church is not the criticism from the outside, but it's the criticism from the inside. And so this is my plea to you this morning, and the Lord was just really reeling this in my heart. Be very careful 
about having, not having a critical spirit. Everybody needs to amen that. Let me say it again. Be very careful, and this is for you and for me, be very careful about not having a critical spirit. Amen. There's lots of critics. There's lots of ideas. There's lots of opinions. But we have to learn how to just simply come together and walk in love. And if God's called you here, and this is your place that the Lord has called you, you have a responsibility to walk in love and not walk in criticism. Because it's not the pressure from the outside, it's the pressure from the inside. And this is why I, will, I am extremely merciful with people. And I, and I do that intentionally because I want people to show me mercy. I need a lot of mercy from you guys, a lot of mercy. I am not perfect. I don't do everything perfect. I don't say everything perfect. I say things wrong. I do things wrong, but I'm doing my darndest, so I just ask for mercy. Amen. But there's one area I show little to no mercy in, and that's when I see one person devouring somebody else because they have a nasty tongue, an unruly tongue that's set on fire by hell is what James says. And when I see people come in, and this is, you're thinking, oh my God, who, who's doing it? Nobody's doing this. I'm just taking what the, the word of the Lord that he told me to share and just sharing this briefly. But when I see that kind of stuff, that's when I shut that stuff down immediately. People from the outside, I don't have authority over those people on, on, on the outside, but I do with people on the inside. What destroys more churches than anything is disunity. I fear disunity more than I fear persecution. They can say what they want. They can do what they want. But I care about the people on the inside, us that are supposed to be walking in covenant with one another, that we walk in covenant with one another with our words, that we encourage each other, that we exhort each other, that we lift each other up, that we look at people and see the giftings that they have, but also recognize it's operating through imperfected flesh. And sometimes when we step out and we're going to see more of this happen and this upcoming, at the end of this year and this upcoming year, we've got some people that the Lord is really causing to rise up and to step out in some things that he's called them to. And we're going to have mercy on those people. They won't say everything right. They won't do everything right. They won't preach all of the right sermons perfectly because nobody has it all together. Amen. Maybe Liz, I think, has it the closest together. <laughs> but nobody... <laughs> Nobody has it all together, and so we show mercy to people. That's the culture that we have here. That's, the, that's a culture of grace. That's a heavenly culture. God's full of mercy, and he expects us to be full of mercy to, to one another. Does that make sense? So this is why when it's just so simple like that. So when I see people getting into speculation and suspicion and they're probably doing that and I can't believe they said that and and you know the and even when people you know here's the thing is when you when you hear people roasting me I can handle people roasting me but you have a responsibility to shut it down because if the enemy can knock me off and cut me out then there's a big problem and so you have a responsibility, even if, you agree, even if you would agree with what they're saying. Who cares if you agree with what they're saying? Who cares if what they're saying is right? I'm not perfect. And the people around you aren't perfect. We're just walking this thing out together, and we're going to do it in love. Amen. Would you stand, and I just want to pray over us. Thank you, Lord. Would you just grab the, the hand of the person next to you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. As a matter of fact, just lift their hand up.
And Father, we do this as just an act of strength and surrender to you, that we will not bow to the nastiness of the enemy, to the nastiness of the flesh. And God, whether whether we've got it all figured out or not, which we don't have it all figured out, the Lord, we're going to simply stay surrendered to you. And we make a conscious decision to walk in love, to walk in love with the people that are next to us and the people that are across the aisle and the ones that aren't here today, but that are a part of this church, that are a part of these people, that we make a decision that we're going to have mercy one to another. The same way that the Lord has shown mercy and forgiveness towards us, we're going to do that with one another. And Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that this is sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, when we get tempted to say something or do something, Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit would would be there quickly to make amends our tongue that we shut our mouth and not say the evil thing that might come out and might destroy, might bring destruction. But God, we speak life with our words. And because we are a prophetic church, that God, part of prophesying and the nature of prophecy is for edification and exhortation and comfort. And we would measure our words by that. Are we bringing edification and exhortation and comfort to the hearers of the words that I'm speaking? And Father, I thank you that we have this amazing person of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us to help us and guide us in this particular area to, to have a strength for our brothers and sisters that are, are, are next to us and to encourage and lift them up, that, God, we're after promoting them and not promoting us. We're not looking to promote our ministry, but we're looking to promote their ministry, and we're looking to promote the kingdom. And, Father, I thank you that we just simply put other people first. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stay right there. I want to pray one more thing in specific. One more thing. You can let go of the person's hand next to you because it gets clammy and nasty after a while. (laughs) I just want to pray this over you. Father, I thank you for the words that are getting ready to be released. And I thank you that they are your words and not my words. I thank you, Lord, we hold your word to the highest esteem. We hold the gospel to the highest esteem in what Jesus has done. And Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus, that we have the ability to take on new wine because we have a new wine skin. That, Lord, we're expanding, we're expanding the borders of our mind, of our will, and of our emotions. And, Lord, as the word comes to us, that we refuse, we refuse to have any offense with what your word is saying. But, Lord, we could look at us and say, I need to stretch a little in my thinking. I need to have some better understanding in this area. And, God, I speak for me as well, too. I thank you that our hearts and minds are guarded against any offense coming from the enemy. But, Lord, we simply receive your word with the readiness of heart. And I thank you for the ability also to go and check the word to see whether these things be true or not for ourselves. And, Father, I thank you that it's going in and this word's going into great, good powerful soil that's going to produce 30, 60, and 100 fold in our life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I want to turn to John chapter 17. And last week, I began ministering on what I call the legal system of heaven. And you've heard teaching similar. Some of you probably have. And probably titled the courts of heaven and I specifically didn't want to title it that although that's a definitely an appropriate title 
And the reason is, is because a lot of things that I've heard, and I'm not knocking anybody else's ministry or teaching, but a lot of things I've heard concerning the courts of heaven are going to the Lord or going to the court system in heaven and dealing with things from an Old Testament perspective, an Old Covenant perspective. How many of y'all know that there was a difference with Jesus, that it changed everything about how we deal with the Lord and, more importantly, how the Lord deals with us? And so I just am titling this just the, the legal system that's in heaven. And if we can understand our legal rights is going to allow us to flourish in the kingdom of God much more because I really truly believe that the, the legal things that the, Jesus has done for us are, have opened things up for us to go way further in the kingdom of God and way further in the spirit than what we, what we really realize and it's just kind of like this, you know, for years, we've been making trips back and forth to Colorado. Um, it's kind of our, maybe our second home, I guess you could say, although I don't like to be there for more than about a week because of the altitude. But anyways, we love the people and some ministries that are going on there and whatever. But, you know, for years, I drove across, you know, Highway 70 through Missouri and through, oh, Kansas, <laughs> and then into Colorado. <laughs> And the speed limit in Missouri is 70. And for years, it was 70 in Kansas also, which it could be like 170 in Kansas, and it would still feel boring, you know. Um, and, then it was, and then it was 75 once you got into Colorado. And I didn't realize it, but there was a time period when I was driving in Kansas thinking that the speed limit was 70 when it indeed had been moved to 75, which wasn't that big of a, a deal in the natural, but five more miles an hour, which means you can probably drive 80 safely. But I'm not encouraging speeding at all, okay? I mean, I wouldn't do that, but I've just, I've watched the speedometer when Liz is driving, so, and she got away with it. Anyways, so, uh, so anyways, but so when the speed got changed, there was a time period when I did not know that the law had changed. And I was driving according to an, an, old, an old law, if you will, and it was limiting me in what and how fast I was really able to move. And so this is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant and people that are still living underneath of the, I, I won't just say the law, but also under the commandments of men and, and grace is not fully matured in their heart yet, and they don't understand the freedom they have in Christ, that they're living, they're actually living at a lower level than what the Lord wants them to live at. And this isn't about being free to sin, it's about being free from sin. Because what I've found is that legalistic people sin as much or more than grace people. They just don't talk about it. But people that are under grace have a freedom to be able to go, Lord, I need help with this thing. Instead of coming in and saying, Lord, look at how good I'm doing. And then just pushing underneath of the rug all of the bad things that they're, they're really doing. But the Bible says that the strength, and this is in 1 Corinthians 15 and I think in 56, it says the strength of, the, of sin is the law. So law, the law actually doesn't strengthen us. In our fight against sin, it strengthens sin in its fight against us. The whole point of the law, and I'm not going there today, so I'm just going to say this briefly, but the whole point of the law, and you can read this in many places in the Word, but especially in Romans chapter 7, says this 10 different ways, that the point of the law is to reveal sin in you. 
But there is no power in the law to help you overcome sin. It's simply to bring us to a point to where we realize we cannot do this thing on our own. That we have to have God's help. And for years, there was the law that was given. But then what happened is that there was Jewish rituals that came in and customs that came in, which we know to be called the commandments of men. And basically, it was things taken from the law and things taken from their culture that they brought the Jews into and said, look, this is really what God wants right here. And they dumbed down the law so low to where people could actually keep the, the law, but keep the customs and the commandments of men that they, that they were saying. And it made the word of God of no effect. And the reason that it made it of no effect is because if you just take the law in itself for what it is and you say, look, this is the standard that you have to live at, and you showed people it, by the end of them trying to keep it, they would come to the end of themselves and say, God, I cannot do what you're asking me to do. There's no way I could keep that. And then the Lord's response is, great, just put faith in me. That was really the point and why he gave the law. But that we have to know that there is a huge distinction between the old covenant law and the new covenant blood of Jesus that was spilt that produced grace for us. And here in John chapter 1, and I read this last week, but I really felt impressed to go back and look at this just a little bit more before we get into this thing. In John chapter 1, and in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. In verse 15, it says, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Notice that there is a distinction very specifically mentioned in this verse between Moses and Jesus. And it says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Here's what we have to understand when it comes to, oh, and let me, let me read this last verse. It says, so no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, or excuse me, no one has seen God at any time, period. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Amen. So John was a witness of him, but Jesus was the one that properly declared him. And when Jesus came in to declare him, he wasn't declaring the law. He was declaring grace and truth because he is the one that truly had beheld the Father. He's the one that had the true nature of God that he revealed in the earth. Amen. So this is extremely important that we understand this. And when you're talking about heaven's legal system, you know, when we think about a legal system, and if you were to be drugged into a court and you were going to be sued for something, there would be lots of paperwork, right? And there would be lots of things that were written down because our legal system deals with writings and things that are written in stone and the laws that are written and they're put on in paper and ink. And nowadays, of course, they're in computers too. But the, the legal system in heaven is not about things that are written. It's about blood being spilt. So when God speaks and when God makes a covenant, he doesn't just put it in paper and ink. He puts it in blood. So this is why under the old covenant, 
And really the old covenant was a picture of the things that were going to come. See, see, they were a type and a shadow of what was going to come. And that's why blood had to be spilt to cover over the people's sin. But the deal was, is that it had to be covered over and over and over and over again. And it says in Hebrews that the, that the same priest would go in repeatedly, year after year, time and time again, and they would continue to offer sacrifices because the past year didn't cover the ones for the future. And the, one, the year before that didn't cover the ones for the future. It only covered the things in the past. But Jesus has come in, and he has ended all of that kind of sacrifices. And if, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe it's covered future tense sin, then I suggest you get your lambs and you get your bulls and you get your goats and you get an altar and you build a temple and you start to slaughter them puppies every year. But truly, you're not a priest and you couldn't do it anyway, so you're going to have a hard time finding a Jewish rabbi who is specifically the high priest around here to cut them puppies up and to shed the blood. Amen. Because under the Jewish, well, under the law of God, that's what was required. But now Jesus has done away with all of those things, past, present, and even in our future. That's how powerful this thing is that, that God did. But looking at from the perspective of the old, it was a shadow. It was only a shadow of things to come. And so if, if you're trying to follow a, a, a shadow, you're not going to be able to keep up very well. And I just look at it like this, that if you've got a, an airplane that's going from one side of the world to the other, you know, you could might see a shadow of that airplane and try to follow that shadow. But the better thing is, is if you can buy a ticket or somebody could buy a ticket for you and you just get in the airplane, then you don't need the shadow anymore. That's what a shadow, that's what it's talking about when it talks about it's a type and a shadow. You know, the thing is, is that if you and I were going to meet somewhere and you know, you knew that uh, at 12 o'clock we were going to meet for lunch and I was going to meet you in front of Subway and because of the position of the sun and where you were standing, you got there first and I was coming and you could see my shadow coming around the corner. And of course, it would be just like a perfect physique, of course, that you would see of the shadow. But I, anyways, um, scratch that or not. But once the shadow ended and I'm there, you don't need the shadow anymore because you've, you've got me and we can meet together. That's the same picture that the word is painting. So there's no reason to go back and try to chase the shadow of things to come when you've got the real thing, which is Jesus. And so this is saying, this is saying here, and in so many places in the word, let's go and look at one more thing here in Hebrews chapter 10. Are you all still with me? Are you already getting some good things, life-changing things? Hebrews chapter 10, and let's look at this here, and this will show a little bit more distinction. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read this whole passage. Is that okay with you all? Hebrews 10, and not the whole, I'm going to start in verse 9, but I'm going to read several verses. Hebrews 10 and verse 9. It says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Notice it says that he takes away the first that he may establish the second. There's not supposed to be a mixing of the old and the new. There's a, supposed to be a, remover, a removal of the old. And we're supposed to insert the new. Right? This is why the book of Galatians was written. And if you look in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about the dangers of mixing the old covenant law and the new covenant 
grace. And he uses the analogy of Abraham having Hagar and Sarah, and out of them came Ishmael and Isaac. And there was a time that came, and it listed right there in Galatians chapter 5, when it says that the bondwoman, which represented the law, wasn't just set to, set to the side, but was cast out. Abraham took Hagar and her seed from Abraham, Ishmael, and completely cast them out so that there would be no dwelling of the pure with the impure, with what God wanted versus what man produced. Because see, when you look at the law, this is what's so confusing about people. They say, well, how could the law be wrong if God gave it because God's holy? The standard in the law isn't, isn't wrong. The standard in the law is right. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's people trying to be justified before the Lord. That's not right. That's the thing that's not good when people follow the law to that point because you can't be justified by the keeping of the law. It only comes through faith in what God has done. So we see this picture of mixing the old and the new together. And when you do that, you get weird results. And this is what he talks about in the book of Galatians. And what happened was that these people known as the Judaizers came in. And Paul had preached the gospel to them and said, look, it's Jesus plus nothing and you'll have everything. The Judaizers came in and they said, look, you do need to accept Jesus. Like they didn't deny that. And this is where the, it gets dangerous for people. And it got dangerous for them. He said, you need Jesus, but in specific, he said, but you also have to be circumcised. If you are not circumcised, because Galatia was an area of, of Gentile believers, so they were not Jews. So they weren't, according to their custom, they weren't circumcised, right? So he came in, or these Judaizers came in after Paul had preached the gospel to them, which is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the Judaizers came in and they said, well, actually it's Jesus plus some other things. Then you're really going to have it all, everything that you need. And in specific, they said, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised if you're going to really stay right with the Lord. This is exactly what religion does today. And if, if you've never heard it said, people don't say it like this. Preachers don't preach it like this. You haven't heard it taught like this, but it's been implied that, yes, I come into Jesus and as, as wretched as I was and as lost as I was, I come to Jesus. He's full of grace. He'll forgive me. He'll save me. And I'm brought into his kingdom. But it's almost like there's a little honeymoon period there. And then bef before you know it, you got somebody on your back, some super spiritual religious person that probably has more sin than you do, but they're just hiding it, pointing out all of the wrong stuff that you're doing, trying to get you to conform to their ways and what they think is right. And you need to do this and you need to do it this way. And before you know it, you're brought right underneath of a legalistic system. And now you've added something to the finished work of the cross. And it's a slap in the face to God. But because he's so full of mercy, he's not going to hold that against you. Amen. He's an awesome God, but he does want us to understand truth because when we understand things properly from a proper perspective, it will cause us to respond to the Lord the right way, coming from a position of a new covenant and not looking at the old. Let's finish reading this before I get off and start preaching. In verse 10, it says, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
Verse 11, it says, And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So this is comparing Jesus to the old. This is comparing the new to the old. And what Jesus did undid all the things that had to be done in order for right standing with God. Verse 12, it says, But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered how many sacrifices? One sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because it was finished. It was done. There was no more work to do. Verse 13, it says, From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Amen. Hallelujah. Can we pull up the Passion Translation of the, what I gave you there in Romans chapter 4? Oh, look at this. In Romans chapter 4, here it is in verse 4. Look at this. It says, when people work, now this is the Passion Translation, so it's kind of wordy, but just look up here and read it with me. When people work, they earn wages. It can't be considered a free gift because they earned it. That's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? Look at the next verse. It says, but no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works, but believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. I got news for you. It doesn't matter if you're righteous in other people's eyes or not. Once you've put your faith in Jesus, you're righteous in his eyes. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. Let's stop right there for a second. It's faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 tells us that now the righteousness of God is being revealed apart from the law, and it's through faith that it's being revealed apart, from, revealed apart from the law. Man, that's powerful. That's awesome. Go to the next verse. It says, even King David himself speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Let me just say that again. Even King David himself speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside a person. The complete wholeness that comes inside a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Apart from our works, God's work is enough. Next verse. Here's what David says. What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven and whose sins are covered by blood. What happy progress. You want to make progress? Stop chasing the shadow and get in the 747 and you can really get somewhere in this life. What happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them, I will never hold your sins against you. The King James says, it says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute their sins unto them. Imputing is, it's a, it's a term, it's a legal term. And so now we're talking about legal things taking place in the spirit realm. Because of what Jesus did, he is no longer, and because of our faith in him, he's no longer imputing our sins against us. 
I don't know about you all, but that makes me really thankful. Because I know, I know what I said last week. We'll go back a week, a week. If I said yesterday, you all wouldn't think enough of me. <laughs> I'm sure I said yesterday on some level. I'm so thankful because I know what I did and what I said and where I've been and what my eyes have beheld and what words that I've spoken in the condition of my heart and my wrong thinking and how I didn't treat people right. Now, all of the lists of things that you could, you could come up with It's still not a long enough list, but it says here, and David was speaking and prophesying to the time, this time on this side of the cross, that blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute their sins unto them. How how is that possible? It's because the blood of Jesus is a binding legal contract that when we enter into that contract through faith, not through our works, it changes Everything brings us into justification, which, which means, I heard it put like this before, it's just, when you look at justified, it's just as Even though you did, it's just as if you didn't. You know what I would say to a person that was completely guilty, 100%, totally guilty, but all of their guilt and their punishment was all totally paid for, totally dealt with, and totally annihilated, I'd say that's a blessed person right there. That's who we are. That's what we are. Man, that's powerful. You know what this is? This is driving the bus down the road and looking at the difference between position and condition. Yeah, we've got some, you know, actually, if you continue or you go back and read because we already read it. Actually, I didn't finish reading all this, did I? Oh, I'm going to. Don't worry. But if you go and you look at verse 14, it says, For by one offering he has perfected forever. He has perfected. Everybody say has. Past tense. Everybody say has. Past tense. There you go. Perfected forever. You can stop saying that now. Okay, now listen to this. Those who are being sanctified. Here you have condition and position. Positionally, you've already been sanctified. You've already been perfected forever. But conditionally, there's still some sanctification in our, in our soulless realm and our body that still needs to take place. But just because we've got issues that need to be dealt with, it doesn't change our position with the Lord. Because the Lord is not holding your condition against you because positionally, Jesus has already taken care of everything. Wow. Where did I end reading? No, I was past that. I'm in verse 17. I read. Okay, I'll start with 17. Then adds. Then he adds. Their sins and their lawless deeds. There we go. I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer offering for sins. <laughs> therefore, listen here in verse 19. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... You can have boldness. You should have boldness to enter the holiest place. Why? Because you've been living so perfectly holy? No, 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 no. It's because Jesus has made you holy. He's made you righteous. Your spirit, man, has been made right with him. You are, we were just talking about this yesterday, that one-third of us is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. You got three parts to you. You're a spirit. You possess a soul and you live in a body. If you just take an immediate inventory, your body, 
probably needs a little work. You all look pretty beautiful to me, but it might need a little bit of work, just flesh in general, but your soulless realm, your mind, your will, and emotions, we could all raise both hands and say that needs a whole, a whole lot of help. But you know that the condition that we have in our soul and our body does not change positionally the truth, the right standing that we have with the Lord right now. It doesn't change it one bit. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. There is a new and living way that we enter in to relate, not only relationship, but also into the, literally into the courtroom of heaven to get our needs met legally Instead of us beating our heads up against the wall, there's already been a price paid. The covenant has been cut with blood. It's a binding contract, and it's not your blood it's been cut with. It's been Jesus. And when we understand this, we begin to, to pull this in. And by faith, because people say, well, where is the courts of heaven? Right now, we are in the courts of heaven. Right now, we're within heaven's legal system. And we're there by faith. We just have to understand the rights that have been given to us. You know, we're in the state of Missouri right now. We're operating within the laws that govern the state of Missouri, but we're not actually in Jefferson City inside of the building there where they make all, I'm not, I'm not very good with words, I guess, where they make all of the laws, the judicial place, the house, and the good, all that, the Congress, right? We're not there, but we're still underneath of the jurisdiction of that. We are absolutely right now, by faith, as children of God, and not just children, but inhabitants and recipients of the kingdom of God, we are absolutely underneath of heaven's jurisdiction. We just don't fully understand this. So I, I, want, I want to bring more understanding. I want to show you very quickly, and I want to deal with an issue of unanswered prayer. Are you okay for just a little bit more? Okay. So let's look here at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Thank you, Jesus. And let's go to verse 1. This is very familiar, and I'm going to read. I have a hard time preaching things and not doing. Did I say Luke 11? Oh, yeah, Luke 11. Uh, I have a hard time preaching things and not getting pulling context out because sometimes people take one verse and they don't understand it in context. So it says here in verse 1 of Luke 11, it says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he, did, so he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to notice where, how he started the prayer. It said, our Father. In verse 3, it says, give us, give us day by day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 5, it says, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to you because he is your friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I want to stop here for a quick second. When you look at all of this in context, and we're going to jump right back in here in verse 9. When you look at all this in context, this is talking about praying to God as a father. 
A father is somebody who's on your side. And then he goes in and says, which of you has a friend that if you go in the middle of the night and ask for something, would he just because you're annoying him, would he just get up and give you what he, what he needs? Who in here has a friend like that? That wouldn't be a very good friend, now would it? I mean, imagine if, if you came over, well, we'd have to use something a little more serious. If you come to my house in the middle of the night for a loaf of bread, I'll say, go to Walmart and leave me alone, you know. <laughs> Because we've got 24-hour stores or whatever nowadays. But, you know, if you had, this was a serious need. And if you had a serious need, and we see a picture of the first part of this, our Father which art in heaven, you're praying for your needs. This is about praying for someone else's needs. This is about intercession. Right? Because someone came and said, I need some food. And he said, well, let me go to somebody who's a friend of mine, and I can get some food from him that I can give to you. Isn't that what we do with people in the Lord? When somebody's in need, we go to the Father. But you know, it, this, is not make, this is not a representation of who God is. It's a contrast of who God is. But a lot of people, when, when it comes to a place of intercession, they come from an old covenant mindset, thinking that they need to go in and be persistent with God. And if they annoy him enough, finally God's going to just release it and give them whatever it is that they need. Understand, when you go to God for your needs and for somebody else's needs, he is your daddy. He is also your friend. He's the best friend and he's the best father there ever was. This is talking about when you go to him, you know that he wants you to have what it is that you need. Because look at the next verse. It says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or, and of course, the answer is no. Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? I got one kid that actually probably would have liked that because he's <laughs> like snakes. In verse 12, it says, Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? I don't even know where to get a scorpion, but you get the picture here. Look here in verse 13. It says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So when we go to the Lord, we go to him on the, the basis, the premise that he's a father, he's a dad, he loves us, and he wants us to have the needs met that we need to have met in our life. Now, let me ask you this question. I'm going to ask you two questions. And they're simple. It's not, a, it's not a trick question at all. And I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want any religious hands. I just want honest hands, okay? Not that you would be religious, but, you know, we're in church and people feel like they need it, whatever. Who in here has prayed and you prayed for something and you asked God for something and you saw that need met? It's pretty much every hand here. Praise God. You know why you had it met? Because he's a good dad. Now let me ask you this. Who in here has prayed for something before and you asked the Lord, you sought of him, you spoke the word, you did it, whatever you needed, felt like you needed to do, and you did not see your prayer answered. Look at that, every hand in here for both things. So this is very, very important that we understand this. So many people, they develop doctrine, they develop a picture of the Lord based off of whether their prayers are answered or not answered. Do you know that whether you have an answered prayer or an unanswered prayer does not speak to the health that God has in his heart towards you? It says that greater love has no man than he lay down his life. For God so, 
we say this verse so often that we, we've lost the meaning. For God so, he so loved the world that he gave his only, his only begotten son that whoever will believe, believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us. He cares for us. He can't show that to us anymore. So then what happens is we pray for something and it's a genuine need. Because I've heard people say, oh, well, you're, you're just, you're praying, you know, you're just, not praying and, and, and really in God's will. Look, it says in 1 John chapter 5, I think in verse 14, somewhere around there, that if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we have the petitions that we ask of him. Well, how do you know what God's will is? If it's in his word, it's his will. If it's a promise that Jesus has made, it is absolutely, positively, 100% all the time, God's will for your life. And he doesn't think anything different about it. So then why do we have unanswered prayer? It's because there's different ways to approach getting your prayers answered than just going to him as a father. We also need to understand that he's not only a father, but he's a judge. And here's the deal, is when your daddy is the judge. And not just because he's your dad, but because he has a legal binding contract for certain things. And you go into that courtroom, you can know that he's on your side and you're going to get the verdict that you need. Because see, Satan is our adversary, right? And it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that, that our, our uh, can we pull that up here so I don't try to quote it and not quote it right? 1 Peter 5, 8, do we have that ready to go there? I just want you to see this here. Oh, here we go. It says, be sober, which doesn't mean don't be drunk, although that's a good thing to not be drunk too. But it's talking about in your frame of mind. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now that word adversary, you can underline that word. Let me tell you what that, that word adversary means. It, it's the Greek phrase antidikos, and I know I'm saying that right because I'm a Hebrew-Greek scholar, but antidikos, and this is what it means. Anti means to deny, and dikos means your rights. So when he's going about and seeking whom he may devour, if, if he's seeking for people to devour, that means he can't just devour anybody. And the deal is, is that he's not omnipresent. He does not have unlimited resources. He's not everywhere. And we say that when we say the devil's attacking us, a lot of times it's just one of his hirelings. It's one of his cohorts. It's one of the people, one of the demonic spirits that work for him. Amen. But when he comes, he's coming to try and deny us our rights. And we see him as this, this accuser. We see him as somebody that's trying to keep us from having what's, what rightfully belongs to us. And you can see in the book of Daniel, when you look at Daniel chapter 9, that Daniel prayed. And immediately his prayer was answered that the archangel, I think it was an archangel, whatever kind of angel it was, Michael came and made sure that he had his answer met. But when you look at the, the next chapter in chapter 10, he prayed again, but it took three weeks to get his prayer answered. Why? Because God felt differently and wanted to withhold from Daniel? No, it says that when the angel Gabriel, was it Gabriel that time? I think it was Michael, then Gabriel, then Gabriel came and Gabriel said, from the first, when you first prayed, I heard your prayer and was on my way to deliver the answer to your prayer. But the prince of Persia withheld me, and I was held up in the spirit. I was held up, and I couldn't come here until now to have your prayer, or your answer to your prayer. 
But God's heart from the beginning was that he have his prayer answered. Amen. It's very important that we understand that we have an adversary. So when you look here, and I didn't go to Luke 18 yet. Man, I've got, I'm just, we're almost out of time, and I'm getting so fired up here because I'm really just on the cusp of really getting to where I want to get. But I hope, hopefully you've gotten some things good so far. Give me a big amen. Work with me here for a second. So when you look at Luke chapter 18, and I've been trying to read this for two weeks, and so I'm going to read this really quickly here. But understand that the enemy comes out, and he's an adversary. And an adversary, if you can imagine, is somebody in a court system who would, who would have something against you, right, that would, would come and try to legally drag you into court and have something against you to, have, to make a, a legal case against you. Keep that in mind and look here in Luke chapter 18. And this is a parable. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying... There was in a certain city a judge, here we've got a judge, who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in the city, and she came to him saying, Get justice from me, from my adversary. That word adversary is the same word ad of adversary from 1 Peter 5.8, antidikos, which means to deny your rights. You have rights according to the blood of Jesus that the enemy is out to accuse and to deny you your rights. Verse 4, it says, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual complaining she weary me. And I'm not going to get into this, but I'm just going to say that I've heard people say, Oh, this is how God is. No, this is the unjust judge. God is the just judge. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Faith is the key, is the key here, is the issue here, because your faith is directly correlated to your stance with the Lord, your righteous stance with the Lord. That when you go into the courtroom of heaven, if you have faith in the verdict that has been declared over you, you can go in illegally and you can access everything that that blood, that covenant, that illegal blood document has created, has made for you. You can go in and you can demand your rights. Now listen, some people say, Oh, you can't go in and demand anything from God. He's God. And you would be right. If you think you can go and demand something from God, you're a fool. <laughs> he's, he's big. He's mighty. He's great. He's the almighty one, right? When you go in and you demand your rights in the courtroom of heaven, you're not demanding it from God. You're demanding that Satan take his hands off. And, you're, and actually, there's a whole lot of warring that doesn't even need to happen that we do sometimes if we just go in and say, okay, devil, you've got these accusations against me. Now, let me go in here, and let's see what God says about this thing. And you look at how Jesus has, God has already ruled through the blood of Jesus. You can say, you know what? You actually don't have any legal rights here. Hit the road. Legally, we have a stance with the Lord. We've got this show that we, we watch, which I will not say what it is because it's very evil. And No, I'm just kidding. It's not evil at all. But some people might say, I wouldn't watch that. Well, then you do with your family what you want to. This is our form of, of entertainment as a family, and we're close how, how we watch it and we enjoy it. And it's a, it's a, um, it's a I don't want to say what it is, but it's a police show. And there's lawyers and there's police detectives and stuff like that. But one of the, 
one of the, and, and the, I love the, the show because they've got these, these family dynamics. Don't be guessing what it is. Just listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> I left it wide open because there's like 40 police detective shows or whatever. So, so anyways, um, there is this, they, they have these family dinners. And they're always dealing with things because all of the family, pretty much all the adults are involved in the, in the legal system. And they'll have these family dinners, and, they'll, and I love that, that no matter what, they come together around the table as family, covenant. They're in covenant with each other. And so the dad, who has a lot of pull in the city, they'll, well, it's blue bloods, all right? That's what it is. <laughs> But we're very careful how we watch it because they put real life things in there. And so we're just careful, okay? So just, and if you think I'm wrong, then you don't watch it and you pray for me, all right? So anyways, the police commissioner has obviously has a lot of pull in the city. And you know that they will sit around that table and they will bring things to him as a, can I have till 12.05? Can I have your, I have to finish this, okay? I know it's long, I know it's late, but I have to finish this. And I really wanted to pray for people, but next week it's just going to be, all right, so they'll come and they'll bring their problems to him as a dad. And, you know, sometimes, and he's such a great dad. He always has the heart to help his kids. And I just, I just love the show. And so he'll do everything he can within his power to be able to help them. But you know that sometimes there are things that they have going on in their work or in their life that are legal issues. And he'll say, I can't do anything about that. And he can only deal with it not as a father but as a police commissioner because it's a legal issue. It doesn't change his heart as the dad, but he can't deal with it on a father level. He's got to deal with it on a legal level. So when we know, and the question is, will we find faith in the earth? The Lord wants to know. Will we find faith in the earth? Will people believe, really believe in the finished work of the cross? Or are you going to continue going into your, we could say prayer closet, prayer room, whatever, and intercede like an Old Testament believer? God, will you pour out? God, will you do this? And I'm not saying that there's, there's, there's not a place for just sharing your heart with the Lord, but it has to come from a perspective of God wants you to have it. He cares that you have your needs met. He wants, re see, sometimes people pray for revival, and they're praying for revival as if God doesn't want revival to be in Perryville. And what we end up doing is we end up agreeing with so much of what the enemy comes in and accuses us over and over and over. I have to read this verse to you in Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, this is building. It's taken a while to build. Thank you for your patience. Revelation chapter 12, we've read this, <clears throat> we read this last week. Revelation 12 and 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of his testimony. And they did not love their lives to the point of death. And I want you to see something here, that this word accuser, it's the Greek phrase kategoros, and this is what it means. It means a complainant in a legal system who denies your rights. Because see, the enemy, Satan, is not some big dude out there that's wreaking all of this havoc and doing all of this stuff outside of a legal, legal system. But the problem is, is that so many people are driving down Highway 70 at 70 mile an hour when they really could be driving 75 mile an hour, but they don't know their legal rights. 
And that's only in Kansas and Colorado, not in Missouri. I'm not, you have to drive steady in Missouri. Or they're, trying, or they're trying to follow the shadow of the airplane and they're not getting in the 747 and, and riding in it there. Amen. Because they're not fighting from the right position. They're not fighting it in a, in a legal sense. Now, here's what I've been building up to. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12. This is going to knock your socks off. Because, see, what he does is that he is a legalist and he operates underneath of the law and underneath of the commandments of men. And he operates outside of the covenant of the Lord Jesus and the blood that was shed. Because if he tried to operate within that legal system, he would be destroyed every time. Because he has no rights. They've been totally stripped away from him. It says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12, it says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that he destroyed them, making a public spectacle of them in it. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. But the reason it says handwriting of requirements is because it was actually a slap in the face to the enemy that all he has are things that are written, but Jesus has come in with his blood and has completely annihilated every accusation that the enemy would bring in the legal system of heaven against us have completely been annihilated. Look here in, in Hebrews chapter 12, and in verse 18, it says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burn with fire, to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the, that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. He's saying, this is not the place that you've come to. This is talking about Mount Sinai. This is talking about when the law was given. This is talking about the, the harshness of God. Verse 20, it says, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so testifying was the sight of Moses saying, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable, innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, into the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. Do you know why Jesus' blood speaks better than that of Abel? Because when Abel's blood was spilt, it cried out vengeance, that his blood had to be avenged. But when Jesus' blood was spilt, it was better because it cried out that vengeance has already been paid for. Vengeance is already done. God took his vengeance out on Jesus. And the blood of Jesus cries out, it screams out that God's not mad anymore. And we can boldly come into the holy of holies. We can boldly come into the courtroom of heaven. So when we need our, when we have a need that needs to be met, we've got an issue and we have the enemy coming in and saying, you're not healed, that you're not right. Look at these sins. Look at these issues. Look at the things that have come down your bloodline. And he brings these accusations against you. Instead of him dragging you into his court, because we don't come to the place of fear and torture First John tells us that when lo where love has been perfected, there's no fear in, in the judgment. There's no fear for us to go before the judge because the judge has already ruled in our favor. 
So instead of the enemy dragging us into the courtroom and saying, you did this wrong and you did that wrong and you've got this sickness and you've got this problem and you've got this issue and all the things he would accuse us of and try to make it a legal thing, instead of him dragging us into the old legal system, we actually drag him into the new legal system because it says that we have come. We come willingly because we know who God is. We know him as a father. But in this case, more importantly, we know him as a judge. And it says that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. That means that we don't have to go to anybody else. We can go straight to God through Jesus with our problem. And he always rules in our favor. Man, that's awesome. Jeez. So instead of spending a bunch of time rebuking the devil, and I'm not saying that there's not a place for it, okay? Don't misunderstand me. But instead of going there first, why don't we go into the, to the legal courtroom of heaven and go in with the blood of Jesus? And when he says, oh, let me tell you something. This is real deep, real fast, and it's going to open up a huge can of worms, and I have two minutes. I asked for 12.05. I got two minutes, and I'm just going to, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look this way, but this is very serious. Men, if you want to know how to overcome your sexual addictions, stop having Satan drag you into his courtroom, accusing you of all of your wrongdoing, you say, man, but I've really been struggling. It doesn't change who you are in Christ. Jesus is the mediator. The devil's not the mediator. He's only the accuser. And if he can drag you in and say, you've been, and say, you've been doing this and this and this and this and you're a worm and you're worthless and you'll never amount to anything and your dad struggled with pornography and your grandpa struggled with adultery and all the things that were in the past, I'm telling you, this is from the Lord. And he can pull you in and he can remind you of all of those things. He's not going to remind you of who you really are and where you're really seated. And if you could see who you really are and where you're really seated and that the judge has ruled in your favor, you would begin to see your as God sees you seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and you'd say wait a second devil you know the things that I've done I know the things that I've done God knows the things that I've done you say well, you're making light of sin I'm not making light of sin at all Jesus took the punishment for our sin and he was beat and he was beat and he was whipped and he was tortured and had a crown of thorns on his head and he bled and he bled and he bled. It was a serious punishment that he took, but he took the punishment so that we wouldn't be labeled guilty, but justified. And if we could really see who we are, we wouldn't want to touch all the nastiness anymore. He would say, God, that's below me. That's beneath me. That's not who I am now. It might have been who I was. My flesh might still have a little bit of issue going on there, but I'm going to see myself according to God. I'm going to see myself legally, how God has made me through Christ Jesus, that he loves me. He's poured it out on me. He's poured it out for me. He's made me right with him, and I'm seated with him, and I'm not going to be moved because of some stupid issue in my flesh. I'm not going to be moved, and I'm not going to listen to the lies of the enemy anymore, even though my grandpa and my dad or my mom and whatever the issue is, my mom and my grandma had this issue. I'm not going to have it anymore because Jesus paid the price. It's a legal issue. I have a legal right. I have legal access to everything that Jesus has given me. Stand to your feet. Come on, shout hallelujah. 
Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.